at verse 1. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my saviour. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down, thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. I'm jumping now to verse 50 at the end of the chapter. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Please keep your Bibles open. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your great goodness to King David. Help us to understand why that is also goodness to us. We pray you help us to understand. We pray you help our children to understand. And we pray for the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. I think there's going to be uh, some uh, people leaving. But let me start with a question. How important is it to be thankful? 
I think we'd all agree that it is important because if we've got nothing to be thankful for, we've got nothing to live for. Uh, the alternative to feeling thankful is to feel suicidal. So in the next question, what should we be thankful for? Yes, food, family, finance, uh, those are good things. Those are the daily day things that we normally would think of thanking God for. But it's not always easy to do that. There's usually worry more than thankfulness, often in the areas around family and finance. Not always easy to be thankful on the day-to-day. And then when trouble comes on the day, we're down in the dumps again. Now I want to make the provocative point that only Christians are people who are really able to live thankfully. I know that's provocative. I want to tell you why I think that from that part of the Bible that's just been read to Samuel chapter 22, which is also Psalm 18. It's a new way of being thankful that I want myself to learn, even as I teach, and it's a new way of being thankful that I want our church to learn to do more and more. Okay? It has two things. First, that we praise God for future days. Now you might think that's really strange because David is talking about God helping him in past days. This is really in the past. I mean, really in the past because it's what God did specifically for David. It's a long time ago. And it is for David that uh, that God has done these things. There's lots of me's and my's as David writes. Now, let's not try and do something like this. Let's not look at what David said about the Lord being his rock and fortress, and then we try and think of times in our experience when we can say the same thing. Now, we can't, because what David, what God did for David was unique. And you see that as you read. I mean, look at verse 5. It tells us his life hung on a thread. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. That hasn't happened to you and me in anything like the way it happened to David. He's not talking about little difficulties like ours that he had to overcome, small problems he had to resolve with paracetamol pain relief. Now he was threatened with complete wipeout. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the place of death. And starting with Goliath onwards, if you know the story about David, there was Saul and any number of others who, as someone said, wanted to make Sheol David's new address. But you can see in verse 4 that he called on God and was saved from his enemies. And God did that with a massive rescue, if you look at verses 8 to 16. Now, If you know Bible history, uh, you might easily remember that when God rescued Moses and his people from being slaves in Egypt, they came to a mountain and saw God in this smoky, fiery, thundery way that David describes in verses 8 to 16. For them it was like God had turned up at the mountain. And David says, this is how God turned up for me. Except, when you know the story of David, he didn't really. David didn't 
God didn't turn up like this for him. It was much more a case of spears that just missed him, about escaping a city just before the stormtroopers arrived, about being saved by a messenger just as David was about to be cornered by his enemies. A messenger comes to his enemies they needed somewhere else. That's how it worked. It was a near miss here and a narrow escape there. There was no thundery, fiery, smoky deliverance from God. But what David's saying is that in every one of those little times, God was as much involved as he was when he got Moses and his people out of Egypt, showing what a great God he was on the mountain. But they weren't literally true in the same way for David as they were for God's people in Exodus chapter 19. Now, what David is really talking about is the future. Because you can say that this happened in a much more obvious way in the lifetime of Jesus. David's always preparing us to understand Jesus. That's what he is doing in this part of the Bible. And in the case of Jesus, verse 5 was absolutely true. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. And yet verse 4 was absolutely true for Jesus as well. And when God showed what it was like to be saved from enemies when Jesus died on the cross, you remember that verse 10 happened. It turned really dark for 10 hours. And you'll also remember that, uh, well, the earth opened up and uh, if you look at Matthew chapter 27 and verses 51 and 52, uh, you see that there was this uh, earth-shattering um, experience as well. Uh, Matthew 27 verse 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Yeah, it's more like age 16, isn't it? And because God did, verses 8 to 16, in the lifetime of David in little ways, but then more obviously did that in the future at the time of Jesus, what this means for us is we can be thankful that he showed himself a rescuer in this way in order that in the future we will be able to say these words. When we are caught up in death one day, it is because God saved and rescued his people and showed us what it was like to be rescued by him, that we can anticipate this will be our future experience as his people. It is the future. This is the kind of things, these are the words we're going to be saying to God one day if we are one of his people.
David's describing what our future words will be like in order to shape our praise now. We are given, if you like, heaven's hymn book in advance. And as we read it now, it will keep our eyes confident in the rescuing God that we have. You see, if David doesn't shape our praise in this way, then what will happen is that the day that we have will shape our praise. And there'll be many bad days which will leave us feeling that the future, that life is fragile. But when you learn to praise like David, or if I can call it like this, David's praise, or you might call it future praise or gospel praise, if we fill our praise with that dimension, then rather than seeing life as fragile, we'll be able to see every day that God is like a fortress in verse 2. Go from fragile to thinking God's a fortress. And that will come as we begin to praise God in the way that we will do one day. And David helps us to see what that, what the emotions and sentiments on that day will be like. Praise God for future days. And praise God in failing days. Now again, you might really think that's a strange thing to say out of this passage because David doesn't look like a failure in verses 21 to 25. Look at what he says. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands he rewarded me. But if you are a seasoned traveller through the story of David, you might just have raised an eyebrow when you see him describing himself like that. Because by the time you get to chapter 22, you would have passed through chapter 11. So you know exactly what he did in chapter 11. He committed adultery. Then he tried to cover it up by committing murder. So when you look at verse 21, you say, God has dealt with me according to my righteousness. Well, you might just wonder whether this is another kind of cover-up again. Except you can't be, can it? Because it can't be a cover-up if we've already been told the full details. So you can't be covering up chapter 11. People have said that this might be there for pre-chapter 11 when David had more righteousness. But actually, he was never like this. If you go back to the very beginning of David's time as a king, he had multiple wives even then, and it's those appetites that really sowed the seed for chapter 11 later. Now, we'll only understand this if we understand that David is a preview of Jesus. These are words that only Jesus could say. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. But David can say these words anticipating him in him. In chapter 11, David failed. 
But then in chapter 12, verse 13, when David confesses, I have sinned against the Lord, immediately in chapter 12, verse 13, that same verse, as he admits it, Nathan the prophet tells David that the Lord has taken away his sin. Therefore, we might read verse 21 here and think back to what David did in chapter 11 and still associated him with that. But God doesn't. That's been taken away from him. So David doesn't associate himself with that sin again. But it's actually even better than that. Because if you look close to the details of verses 21 to 25, you see that they make out David to be better than he was even on the best days. Never mind the fact that he didn't have sin. He was never this good. But you see again, that is what tells us something about the full effect of what Jesus did on the cross. See, when Jesus died on the cross, two things happened. Yes, David's track record of sin is stuck on Jesus, who is punished for it. But the second part of that is that the track record of Jesus and his perfect rightness or righteousness you see in verse 21 is transferred onto David. So even someone with adultery and murder in their track record can now claim verse 21 and say, but I'm even more righteous than I've ever been able to live. I've got the righteousness that Jesus gives me, his righteousness. My sins have gone to him. His righteousness has come to me. And that's how it works with us. Let me explain by using this book. Look, let's pick up this book and say, here's a story, page after page, of a person's life. Let's say this is my life. And you look at the first page and you think, gosh, I didn't realise that this Mike Reith person was such um, a, a, a terrible child, even when he was very, very young. And you go through his teenage years and you're looking and thinking, this only gets worse. You finally get to the point... Uh, halfway through the book and you see he's become a vicar and you didn't think the vicars would do things like this that they would be as um, un-vicar-like as this one and you get to the end of the book and you say gosh I didn't think old men could do such things but here we are he's there doing them and you look at the name of the front cover but the name of the front cover doesn't say my grief it says Jesus Christ it's like this is now a book of his life he took uh, the full penalty of everything that I've done as if he had done it. But now look at this new book and on every page there is kindness. There is wonderful serving love. Uh, there is compassion uh, for every single person that this person meets. And uh, there is always a selflessness, putting himself uh, after others. And you look at the name of this astonishing person, and the name on the front cover reads, Mike Reith. It's as if his goodness has been given to me. And in the New Testament, there's an apostle called Paul who put it in a 
very simple single sentence in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 uh, Paul says this very simply for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God so if you're a Christian it may be that uh, we are conscious of personal failure but it is important that failure doesn't stop the praise because the cross means that our sins have been transferred away from us and righteousness has been transferred into us the righteousness of God himself so even failure doesn't turn off our praise we can be as grateful to God for his righteousness the day after we sin even after we commit adultery and murder as we were the day before because it's the Lord Jesus who has given us that righteousness on the cross it's not something that we have worked up to ourselves now what can we take home from all of this as we think these words through and this message uh, is through tonight but let me ask you just if you're someone who lives on our estate listening to this on our website or maybe you're here tonight I wonder if you would agree with me that actually everybody in our society would love to be thankful and yet it is a struggle to be thankful don't you find that true, true in your own life? and I want to suggest that this is why Christianity is so attractive it fills you with thankfulness for a start because it gives you a Lord to thank a God to thank without, without a God you've got no one to say thank you to but secondly because this God gives us more to thank him for than the little lifts of good days that may come our way no he opens up a new way of uh, being thankful he opens up thankfulness for the future and to uh, live now amazed as we will be one day at the great rescue that he has accomplished he even opens up thankfulness when we fail and both those new areas and avenues of thankfulness he does through Jesus and what he did on the cross which is why I said that only Christians have the very deepest reasons to praise God without Jesus as it says in verse 5 distress and death will have the last word and so therefore the simple encouragement if you're listening to this and you really would like to become a Christian tonight why don't you just look at those words in verse 4 and make them your own pray them in talk to God in these words I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies call on him 
But actually, this is a good message for people who go to church, not just for those outside who want to be praising God. It is easy, isn't it, if you go to church, to think that we know all about praising God. We can nod at how important that is. We've heard it all before. But I want to suggest it's easy for church people to ultimately have our thankfulness limited to the present, what happens on the day. Whereas the mark of a Bible believer is someone who believes in God's future. How do you know someone who believes in God's future? Well, in 2 Samuel 22 it is that they thank him for it. And I want to suggest that that often might be a helpful indicator if we are not really born-again Christians. We might well be in church, and there might be a church habit. But if our thankfulness is no different to anybody else, if our praise is set by the day rather than by David and the rescue that he describes, then really we're not Christians, are we? Even though we might go to church. And maybe this is God's way of helping us to see that and seeking him in the words of verse 4 as well. Call on the Lord and be safe. And be praising God for the future. But then, what if you are a real Christian? Why didn't we all go out this week to learn a different way of thanking him? Look, have these words in front of us that we begin to look at these words and don't just simply leave them tonight, but return to them and say, God, this is what I'm going to be saying to you one day. And to learn this new way of thanking God as we will one day in the future. Let David write the script of our praise rather than the day. And there's actually a wonderful help in the Bible to help us to do that. The Bible gives us... It, you can't be more helpful than giving people the words to use to praise in this kind of way. So keep the words. They're there for that purpose. And we come and we thank God using the words that are here in the Bible to tell us what uh, we're going to be saying in God's presence. Actually, the songs we sing in church are usually helpful because they're normally there and sung because of what God has done for us in Christ, not in the crisis of one particular day. And that's really helpful because I think a lot of the songs that we might sing on CD and things like that, we like them because of the tune. But really what we ought to be doing is to really latch on to the words and say, and pitch yourself in the future, thanking God for all that rescue that is described here. And remember verse one is still, 21 rather, is still true when we have a day of failure. It can still be a day of expressing our, our love for the Lord uh, because of his righteousness given to us through Jesus and the cross. So let's learn to be genuinely thankful as a church 
because we genuinely believe the gospel which is where we see God to be truly great and as we do that let me promise you the great confidence that will grow is not that life is fragile but that God is a great fortress let's have a moment when we uh, talk to him individually and then let me pray as we finish opportunity to pray privately let's uh, finish let me just read to you those two last verses of chapter 22 for this I will praise you O Lord among the nations and sing praises to your name great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed to David and his offspring forever. Lord, we pray that you please help us to praise you for this, to praise you for what you will do for us uh, forever, and to praise you for what you will do to us even in failure, that we might bring glory to Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.